We are beginning our What on Earth Am I Here For series, and we are trusting God that as we journey over these next six weeks, that God is going to do something profound in each of your hearts, that He's going to help you to see where you fit into the big picture, what the big picture is, but how you fit into it, and how significant your life is, and how you can partner with His Spirit to be the most awesome you that is possible. So, Father, I just pray for each person here, Lord, that, Father God, as we begin to speak about this topic, Lord God, that you would bless them in a way that is new and profound, Lord God. I pray that you would remind them of the many things you've spoken to them. I pray that you would speak new things to them, Lord God. I pray that you'd set them free from anything that is hindering them from moving into their, their purpose and their, what you have for them, Lord God. And I ask that in every way you would help me to speak your word your way. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. So I'd like to start with a few stories or test me should I say as I was thinking about the service this morning I was asking God how how should I begin and I felt like he said tell him how awesome I am so I thought that's a really good place to start in church about how awesome God is so we have a couple in this church that have been in the church for since its inception really but they they re, she, well, she told me the story of how she has been praying for her father to get saved for 20 years. And how she just feels like God telling her to persevere and just keep faithfully praying. And a couple of weeks ago, I'm so delighted to announce her father gave his life to the Lord. Can we give the Lord a hand? I wanted to share that with you because I feel like there are many of you here who are believing things, believing for things for a long time. And I feel like God is making you a promise through this testimony that he is faithful and that as you persevere in believing, he is going to answer you. So Friday night, we were at a restaurant. We were taking some guests from the UK out. And as we were driving there, I felt like the Lord said to me, be generous. So... I, cho I, I chose a, a mediumly priced restaurant so I could be as generous as I possibly could. You understand what I'm saying? So we, uh, we headed off to this restaurant and we're there and I say to them, have anything you want on the menu. And we open up the menus. I know the prices on the menu. I knew, you know, they, 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 can, they can order well and I'm, I'm okay. Then as we're sitting there perusing the menu, the waiter comes, comes by and he has a, a big large board with about five different raw steaks on it, all these special elite cuts imported from various nations around the world with excellent marbling, with a fantastic shape, with just the most succulent taste you'll ever, ever have. But these are not on the menu, he says. And you know, at that moment, my heart is dropping because you know, I know anything that is not on the menu that doesn't have a price next to it. You know, you just, you, you know, they didn't put it on the menu because no one would order it by virtue of the price. You understand? They had to bring this man to sell it to us. And I mean, he is, he is describing these steaks like you won't believe. And I am just watching. I'm just watching as he's talking. I'm watching the bull just climb and climb and climb and climb. And I'm hearing God say in my ear, be generous, be generous. So I turn to our guests and I say, order whatever you like. And I had a smile on my face. That's how much I was trusting God. And, and so, of course, they look at this stuff. And, of course, the most expensive steak, this waiter described it like, you know, it was heaven itself. 
If you just taste the steak, your life will be worthwhile. So, of course, everyone chose that steak. So I, I kept my attitude good the whole meal. And, you know, I, I was true to my word. Order whatever you want. And, you know, they were, they were, they were doing that. They were ordering whatever they wanted. And it's coming towards the end of the meal. And you know, I'm, you know how, how when it's easy to be confident at the beginning. Now when the bill's about to come, I'm feeling a little nervous. So, so I turn to the waiter. And you know, I, I've got a smile on my face. You know, I'm inside I'm praying in tongues. And I say to him, please bring the bill. He paused. Now, now, what had been great is that while we were at this table, I had actually ended up prophesying over this waiter, and I shared Jesus with him. And so by this time, he was really a good friend, you know? Like, we were on first name terms. We were, like, really, we were hitting it off. So he looks at me, and he gives this big smile, and he says, Carol, he, he even knew my name. Carol, you know what? Someone in this restaurant just paid your bill. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, guys, anybody want anything more? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I guess what I want to say to you with this, I just, I really want to encourage you. It's the kind of God we serve, that, that you, can, you can obey him and follow him, and he's going to make a way for you, even if you don't know how it's going to work out. And the other thing I learned from this is, oh my word, I want to be that person who paid my bill. You know, I want to be that kind of person that, that, that sits in a restaurant and, you know, just hears from the Lord and says, pay that bill. And, you know, I, I want to be the miracle bringer. I want to be that person. And I, I just want to encourage you with the, this story that, first of all, God is going to do miracles as you obey him. But also that you, as you obey him, he is going to bring miracles through you. He's going to do amazing things. Amen. So as we journey with what on earth am I here for, I wanted to start with that because I wanted you to know that nothing is impossible with this God that we serve. So what on earth am I here for? Andrew said to me that he felt, feels like it should be called, what on earth am I here for, for heaven's sake, in Jesus' name? <laughs> because, I mean, look, look at that title. I mean, it's just lots of words. You know, even when we abbreviate it to one another in the staff, it's still a sentence. W-O-E-A-I-H-F. You know, it's just, it just keeps going on. But nonetheless, despite the length of that title, I feel like God is going to do something very profound in your hearts today and through these six weeks. And I want to invite you to not only journey yourself, but find your neighbor, find your sister, find your aunt, find your mother, find your friend, find, find your um, college mate, and journey with them through this because God will do something equally profound in their hearts. What on earth am I here for? Today we're going to be looking at you matter to God. We're going to turn and look at a portion of scripture right at the beginning of the Bible. It's in fact in the first chapter, Genesis 1, 26 to 27. So you can turn there with me if you would like. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, sorry, livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. How many times is the word created there? Quite a few times. I, I feel like God wanted us to know he created us. I mean, that's the first thing we want to know. 
is that you were created by a God who has intention, by a God who decides things, a God who has purpose, who has a plan, that you, you can rest assured that you are no mistake. There, there may be um, accidental pregnancies, but there are no accidental ch children. There might be mistakes in falling pregnant, but I want to promise you there are no children who are mistakes. That God has planned your life, he has planned your future, and he is intentionally walking you into that future. As you partner with him, you will see that future unfold. So I want to look at that very first statement. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let us make man in our image. It's so interesting that that is plural. Let us make man in our image. There's no mistake that it's written that way. I feel like God in some way wanted to give us a picture that this was a communal decision to make man. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now the original Jewish hearers would not have read it like that. But certainly we looking back knowing about Jesus and knowing about the Holy Spirit have capacity to read it like that. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit sat in perfect communion. Just loving one another. God the Father adoring the Son. Exalting Him. Speaking about how great He is. Jesus the Son standing there in the Godhead and declaring the goodness and majesty of his Father. The Holy Spirit kind of moving around and saying, yes, the, the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. The, this, this intense, loving, and beautiful relationship within God. And this intense beauty that is our God. God says to himself, and he says, what I have in me is so majestic, so glorious, so beautiful, so desirable, that I want to extend it into all of creation. Let us make man in our image. The Bible makes two emphatic statements about God that are so important. They're kind of the foundation of all that God is. First of all, it says in 1 John that God is holy. I mean, sorry, God is love. And then it talks about how God is holy. Two things, God is love and God is holy. At another time, I'll talk about the holiness of God. But right now, I just want to talk about the fact that God is love. That God defines himself by this concept of love. That you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in this glorious, loving relationship. And if God is love, as he says he is, love can only exist in relationship. Therefore, God has to be one and plural at the same time in order to be love. But as he's saying this, he's, there's almost like a way that he's revealing that in order to be more me, in order to be more excellent, more just God, I have to have more to love. And therefore, in order to be more me in this creation, I must create an object for me to love. 
And because I'm the most excellent God in all of creation, the most excellent being in all of creation, in order for me to love excellently, this being must look like me. And so he created mankind. And I want to make you a proposal. It's not a wedding proposal, so you can relax. But I, I want to make this proposal to you that, that God made you with the express purpose of being loved. That God's first and primary purpose for you is to receive his love, to know his love, to live in his love, to be loved. You were created as an object of God's love so that God could be more God. And this speaks of so many things. Because we're going into a series on purpose, and you're going to learn about all the things you can do to express your purpose, all the things that, you know, you can add to your life, things you can take away your life. It's going to be a lot about doing and knowing and, and changing things. It's going to be about your career, about your relationships. It's going to be about that, because, because that's all part of your purpose. But if we start there, you could be deceived into thinking that your purpose is all about doing stuff. And you will miss the beauty of God's design for you. At the very core of who God is in relationship with you is that he designed you to be loved. That you fulfill your purpose by allowing God to love you. That you become more fully yourself when you allow God to love you. And I'm human too, so I understand the problems. It's easy, it's really, really easy to stand before God and say, Lord, look, I just got a promotion. Come love me. Lord, my marriage is going well. Yeah, I feel your love. It's not so easy when you lose your job to feel that love. It's not so easy when there's tension in your marriage to stand before God and say, my primary purpose right now is to be loved. It's a lot harder because all your defenses are up. All the, you know, there's, there's anger moving there. There's, there's stuff going on. And, and dare I even say, sometimes we feel ashamed of that stuff and we would rather God didn't even know. It's like, gosh, I'm not saying that before God. You know what I'm saying? I've got news for you. He knew it already. You know, it's sometimes like when your children are young and you play hide and seek. Do you, if parents who've got younger children, you'll remember this. And your, and your child goes and hides and, you know, there's a, there's a tiny little teddy bear on the ground and your child comes and crouches behind the teddy bear and, you know, everything's sticking out. You know, I mean, the, it's clearly obvious where your child is. Or they hide behind the curtain and their feet are sticking out at the bottom of the curtain. I th sometimes feel us trying to hide stuff from God is just like that. You know, I mean, I, he's like, what are you hiding? And I feel that living in God's love, which ultimately is your primary purpose, means that I allow God to love everything. Even the stuff I don't like about me. Now what's wild about that is God's love is not really like human love. God's lo love is not really about what he can get from you. It's about what he can contribute to you. 
And so when you open up your heart and say, God, I need you to love me in this place where I'm really angry. I need you in this place where I feel really disappointed. Lord, I need you in this place where I am completely ashamed. Even here, I need you. It's at that moment that his love rushes in, and the beautiful thing is he never leaves it how he finds it. So that place of your heart that might feel like a, you know, like th that room in your house where, where you put all the rubbish just before the guests arrive. Do you have one of those? <laughs> and yet when you open it up, he comes into that room, and he, instead of saying, oh my word, why is all your dirty laundry on the floor here? You know, why isn't your bed made? What are you doing drawing on the walls? You know, he doesn't say any of that stuff. He just sits down and he starts picking stuff up and moving things around and tidying it up and making it new. I'm going to tell you a secret about myself that you may not know. But when I was young, I was literally terrified of people. And also when I was a little bit older. <laughs> I don't want you to think it was just when I was a child. You know, in my early adult life, I, if I had to be honest with you, I'd say I was terrified of people. I would much rather have been by myself. I didn't really want to interact with people. I found people confusing, overwhelming, and crowds just, just really freaked me out. But, you know, I never told anyone. And I often put up a good act. I come from will, a class of world-class actors. You know, we, we did it well. But one day I got before God and I had to be real with him. And I said, God, you know, the truth is people terrify me. And I'm really, really ashamed because it shouldn't be like this. My logical brain can tell me every day that it shouldn't be like this. But yet I still feel it. And you know, at that moment, it was like I was letting God into that room, into that place. I didn't say these words, but now, because I didn't have those, these words then, but literally what I was asking was, Lord, come and love me in this place also. This place that I'm ashamed of, this place that I don't like about me. This place that brings fear to me. And you know, God is so faithful. Because he came in and he changed things. He picked up the dirty socks. He moved the wardrobe. He cleaned the walls. He made it right. He healed my heart. He set me free. He told me truth. And I feel, I feel at that moment he made me a promise. He said, if you'll let me lead this part of your life too, I'm making you a promise that you will lead churches. And you know, it's, I have to be honest with you, I, wa I want to make sure this is, this is rightly said, I'm no longer afraid of any of you. <laughs> I think you're marvelous. The more, the merrier, the bigger the church, the better. You know, just, just bring me people, bring me people. But there's a, there's a place where God takes your weakest, most broken, most not to be seen part. And if you will let him in and you'll let his love in, he will make that the, the primary display of his glory through your life. 
How great is that kind of a God? Because God is love. Now, there's a scripture that talks a little bit about love because you, I, I, wa I want to go there. We are created in His love. But I want to I actually look at scriptural definitions of love because, you know, Valentine's has just passed. And to be honest, there are a lot of wild descriptions of love going around. You know that little gray teddy bear? You know the one that comes in the mug with the hearts on it? You know, with the little stick and the, the red heart balloon? You, you know the one that Cardi's and all the, the shops sell? You probably gave it to your Valentine this last week. You know, that, that certainly represents a part of love. But it's not the fullness of biblical love. Biblical love has to be defined by the most loving act that was ever done. And let's turn to 1 John and read about it. This is where it states... It's one of the two places that the Bible states that God is love. And it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, when I read that, I feel the power and the energy and the passion of Jesus. A God who would step out of the comfort and the glory of his own presence and say, I will go to that broken, destroyed world because I cannot bear to be without them. My love is pushing me. It's a powerful, consuming, fiery, delivering love. It's a love that, that won't, say, won't stop at any boundary, that will push past everything to find the one it loves. It's the, the kind of love that will sacrifice, will do whatever it takes for the well-being of the one it loves. It may seem little gray teddy bears, but it will, it will come with power and love and deliverance at the same time. It's as much about the power and the majesty of God as it is about the love and the gentleness and the peace of God. Imagine with me for a moment, and I hope this never happens, Lord, let it never happen, but a terrible disease breaks out in a community, unheard of before, no antidote, no medicine, nothing to stop it, and person after person is dying an excruciating death because of this disease, and then, to everyone's surprise, one person gets the disease and survives. No one else has survived. Everyone else is dying of it. And they realize that this one person has developed uniquely antibodies to this disease. As they're scrambling to find vaccines and medicine and are not successful, they also realize that, that this, this person's blood contains the answer to destroying that disease. They might, they might come to that person and ask him a question. Would you mind giving us some of your blood? I don't know what you would answer if, they, if you were asked that question. 
And what if they found that, that if, they could, they, if they could inject some of this blood into, or isolate the antibodies from this blood and inject that into someone, that that person would be healed? My guess is they would be asking for more and more of his blood. And I have this picture of, you know, person after person after person being healed by his sacrifice. And then when everyone's healed and the community is rejoicing at the destruction of this disease, they turn to the man and they find him breathing his last on the floor because he's given everything to save the people around him. Would you call that love? Because we serve a God who did just that, who looked at the brokenness of the world and said, I will do whatever it takes to see the healing, the salvation, the restoration of every person on this planet. Whatever it takes, take my blood, take my heart, take whatever is necessary, that every person on this planet will, will come to wholeness and healing. This is the sacrificial love of Jesus. At the same time, I, I actually wonder about what kind of passion drove him. I know I've spoken about this before, but you remember that first time you, you met that special person. And you went to the movies, and just halfway through the movies, your hands touched. You remember the lightning that flashed through your body at that moment. You pulled your hand away quickly out of embarrassment, but you, you felt it. You felt it. But you know how that... That intimate, passionate, that passion for intimacy drives us. And indeed, that is also part of love. Because love is, is it's a decision and it's a, you know, deciding to save people and give yourself for them. But it's also a passion inside that drives you past your own limitations. That forces you to, to get past your embarrassment, to, to move into new places because you're so desiring that thing or that person. And I, I ask myself often, what kind of passion drove Jesus? What kind of passion drove Jesus? I spoke at the beginning about how this beautiful God was so complete in himself. What drove him to give up all of that so that he could be with you and me? Where he would suffer excruciating pain, terrible situations, rejection, heartache. There has to be a passion that is so great, so incredible, so enormous. And so in light of that, despite everything, every little line you read on Valentine's Day, I read this one, I got this card once from someone who was not Andrew, who a long time ago, before I even knew Andrew. <laughs> qualify, qualify. And this little card said, love means never having to say you're sorry. You know, at the time I thought it was quite sweet because I was young. But now it just makes me want to gag. I mean, I say sorry to the ones I love more than I say sorry to anyone else. 
Love means saying sorry. You know what I'm saying? It's like the, the world has such crazy, crazy ideas of what love means. So as I look at the beauty of who Jesus is, and I look at love being not defined by how we love God or how we love one another, but love being defined by what Jesus did, by who he is. I've come up with some definitions that I think are a lot more in line with the Bible. How about love is the sacrificial desire to place the well-being of another above our own? How about love is the passionate desire to be relationally intimate with another? How about love is the committed desire to bless another and to do all things for their good? Your first and final, first and primary, sorry, not final, your first and primary calling is to live in this glorious, uncompromising, pursuing, fiery, yet gentle, glorious, yet peaceful love of God. You were designed as an object of His love. Today, as you go out and you face traffic or you, you realize your bank balance isn't as high as you thought it was and you stand there and you're tempted to be angry, irritated, disappointed, hopeless, remember, my primary job is to receive his love, know his love, and live from that place of love. The next time you stand before an angry boss who's demanding stuff of you that you know is impossible, instead of answering in kind and giving it back to him good and proper, how about standing in the love of God, allowing his love to define you instead of your boss's reaction, your mother's reaction, your father's reaction, your neighbor's reaction? and responding from that place of his love. So, your first purpose to live in his love, that scripture doesn't stop there. It talks about we are created in his image. The word for image and likeness are two Hebrew words, selim and debut. And if there's anyone Hebrew here, I'm so sorry for how I butchered those words. But anyway, those two words that are in Genesis 1 for image and likeness. The word for image literally means a carved image or a carved um, statuette of something that is exactly like the original. It also means kind of, you know, you know, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you, you hear about it in stories. But it literally means like a, a manifestation, a ghostly phantasm, a manifestation of another reality. So like if you saw a ghost, they would say it was an image. It was this thing. And the word likeness literally means, well, they use it when they were describing a metaphor. So in other words, it means something that explains something to someone else. So if I look at these words, the way I would, I would describe our purpose in carrying his image, because we are created clearly in his image, and this is a primary kind of... Uh, property, a primary property of being human, 
is that we are created in his image. I would want to describe that concept as this. Being in his Im image means being a visible representation of a spiritual reality. I would describe carrying God's image as having being a physical manifestation of God's delight. And to sum it up, I would want to say that living in God's image means that your existence is meant to explain God to the universe. So we are primarily meant to live in his love, but secondarily, you were created to carry his image. Which means that when you walk into work tomorrow, when you walk into class in two weeks' time, you're not walking in as just a person. You are walking in as a carrier of his image. When that same boss is treating you in a way that is not great, instead of reacting, you're going to say, how do I release God's image right now? When you're standing before that assignment, that school assignment, that's just impossible. You're going to say that I represent the presence of God with me carries a wisdom that is so much greater than this problem. Lord, how do I manifest your image, your likeness in this situation? How do, how do I have wisdom beyond my years and experience to present in this situation a solution that is so far beyond what I could get with my own natural mind? We are meant to exhibit the image and the likeness of God. We are made to explain God to our neighbors through our life, through our words, through our actions. We are made to explain God to our family. Our life should be a living representation of his glory and his goodness on the earth today. And last of all, I want to talk about something. The two primary purposes that you have is to live in his love and to show forth his image. But in order to do that, you're going to have to break some molds. Have you noticed how the world is trying to squeeze you into a mold? Have you noticed how every advert, every sitcom, every movie, a lot of the conversations you have around are trying to tell you who you are, are trying to tell you what you're supposed to do, are trying, to, are trying to force you into a way of living. Have you noticed that? And how, how in order to live in his image, carrying his love, we're going to have to break out of some of those molds. We're going to have to live a different way, go a different path, say a different thing, live a different way. We're going to have to ignore the narrative that hits us women every day that unless you're sleeping with a powerful man, you're not powerful yourself. Unless you're, unless you're united to a, a worthwhile person, you're not worth anything. Unless you're earning this kind of bank, bank balance, men and women, you're not worth anything. Unless you're this tall, this pretty, this wide, this short, whatever. Unless you like this. You're not valuable. There's a scripture in Romans 12 
Romans 12, verse 2, it says this, Do not conform any longer to this pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you read that same scripture in the Message Bible, it says it a bit differently, and I love this version. It says it like this, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Unlike the culture around you, which is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you. Don't be conformed to the culture of your day. Don't be so concerned with the culture of your day. There is a calling on you to walk in his love, carrying his image into your homes, into your businesses, into your everyday life, carrying the majesty and the glory of God, knowing who you are in him. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't choose a lesser calling above what God has called you to. Remember, you carry his image. You were made as an object of his love. Don't accept anything less than that. Brene Brown, an author, made this statement in one of her books. She says, you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. And in essence, she's kind, of, she's kind of concluding my sermon for me. Because what she's saying is she's saying, you know, we all have a past. We all have stuff that has happened to us. Some of, some of it, it's happened outside of our control. For some of us, it was entirely in our control, and we, we did stuff we shouldn't. We regret it. We're ashamed of it. Or there's stuff that you, you know, you, if you're honest with yourself, you're just really disappointed how things turned out. You're expecting better. Or you're expecting different. And she's saying, we all have that past. A and we can choose to just like I used to do, just pretend that there was nothing wrong and, you know, just present the right, the right image. And in essence, we, we don't let God into that part. But she's saying, until you own all of that, until you know where you've come from, until you know the times that you, you walked not in his love, where you, you walked in places where you weren't showing his image, until you own that and say, yes, indeed, the, that's me. I have those rooms that are a mess. Until you own it and say, yes, and bring it before Jesus and say, this is who I am. Until you do that, you can't really walk into your future. But when you do that, God makes you a promise that he comes into all of that. He makes it new, he cleans it up, and he will walk into a new future in which you, which you don't have to hustle for your worthiness. You don't have to work hard to feel like something. You don't have to scramble to be significant. You don't have to be pulling other people down to feel good about yourself. You can, you can just live in a deep-seated sense of your worthiness, your sense of peace, a sense of wholeness, a sense of identity. 
And I feel like God wants to do that for you today. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know, I don't know what, what your past is. You, you might have things that, that, you know, were done to you that you really are ashamed of. And I'm here to tell you, God has a plan to set you free. I, I, have, I have something to say to you today that God doesn't define you by any of that. You, you have, may, have done things that if you were honest with yourself, you look back and say, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. That was wrong. That was not, not the way it was supposed to be. And God is saying to each of you today, I don't define you by those things. Let me heal them. Let me set you free. And let's walk into something new in my love, showing my image. You may have some disappointments, some things you were, disa- you, were, uh, you were believing for and they just didn't happen the way you thought they would. And if you think about them, you feel that anger in your heart. You feel like you don't really know who to be angry with. You know, you, you're angry with the people who didn't make it happen. You're angry with yourself for not being good enough or whatever it is. You're angry if you're honest. You're even angry with God for not answering. And we can pretend that doesn't exist, or we can just own it and say, Lord, that's there. But I want even that place to live in your love. I want even that place to have your image. You know, you might have some places that you feel ashamed about, and it's, it's not anyone else's fault, and it's not even your fault. You were just born that way. You're too tall, too short, too wide, too skinny, too fat, too, too light, too dark too smart, too not smart enough. You know, the list is endless. Mark shaking, I mean, Mike shaking his head, he doesn't know any of that. (laughs) Don't worry, Mike, you can be free from being too smart. That smart Alec uh, spirit can be removed, don't worry. But God, God wants to come in all of that. And he wants to say to you, today is the day. You take up that new identity. You take up that new understanding of your purpose. Today is the day that you you take off like a garment, that old way, and you put on Jesus. And you say, no, from now on, I'm living in his love. And I'm walking into my future with the express purpose of explaining him, of demonstrating him to my environment. That people are going to ask me, why are you so happy? Why are you so, how did you get the answer to that? How come you feel you acting so great when things are so tough? How come you're so smart, Mike? And so I want to ask, I'm going to need some like breakthrough, breaking chains music from someone who's musical in this room. I don't know who that could be. (laughs) That's you, Josh. (laughs) I feel like God, you know what, I feel that fiery love of Jesus right now. That 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 kind of passion that says, 
I want everything these people can possibly have. I want the freedom and the life and the joy, all of it to be possible for them. I want them to live in a place where my love is so obvious to them, where that my delight in them becomes the primary thing they think about when they think about me. I want them to be whole, excited, alive. I feel that fiery passion of Jesus saying, I want it for you. And if you can imagine his finger pointing to you right now, 